0: Titus 2 1 through 10. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the Word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. May God add a blessing to the reading of His word this
1: morning. Well, <clears throat> Did that uh, scripture reading raise any of your 21st century eyebrows <laughs> a little bit? Some of the things that um, Apostle Paul said there, uh, probably some of you thought, I'm not sure if I agree with this guy, but uh, we'll, we'll get to there in a minute, hopefully, And uh, but definitely we're going to be looking at the, the larger point made there, And uh, but today we're continuing in a series on advancing the cause of Christ, and as we've said throughout this series, if uh, once Once you uh, sign up with Jesus, you don't just sign up for church. You don't just sign up for a warm, fuzzy feeling. Uh, You don't just sign up to be able to wear cool Christian t-shirts or listen to Christian radio. You sign up for a cause. You sign up for the cause of Christ. And so we've been looking at this cause of Christ each week and, and discovering that there's a lot of ways that each of us are called to advance the cause of Christ. There are some ways that, that some people do it that they're specifically called to do, and not everyone is called to do that. But there are other things that everybody can do to advance the cause of Christ. A whole bunch of them in, that are described for us in our New Testaments. And so we've been looking at one each week. You know, we started with prayer as the number one way to advance the cause of Christ. We've looked at money as the second most mentioned way in our New Testaments to advance the cause of Christ. Uh, We talked last time about our works together, the things that we do as a church to bless the community around us, and in so doing, we advance the cause of Christ that way. And and today is going to be a little more personal. Now, we don't advance the cause of Christ just out of some, you know, crazy desire to take over the world. Uh, We believe that's going to happen anyway when Jesus returns, right? So... We don't have to worry about taking over the world. He's got that covered. But what we're trying to do is respond to the heart of God that so loved the world that he sent his son. And his son had such compassion for the world that he gave his life. And then he gave the church a mission to take the gospel, the good news of what Christ had done to the world. And so we're called to this as individuals, as, as a church when we sign up our name gets attached to the cause of Christ and as it is with all causes, no matter whose cause it is or what it's fighting for the behavior of the people who are attached to that cause influences what people on the outside of the cause think about that cause doesn't it? I mean let's just take some relatively modern examples Uh, go back a few years to the civil rights movement and compare the work of Martin Luther King to that of Malcolm X and and who would you say has the most respect (laughs) and not only that but, but who between these two men would you say had the greatest impact and influence in the long run the one who publicly espoused violence or the one who publicly spoke for peace because your behavior and, and the and the way you uh, represent a cause affects not only the outcome of that cause, but just people's opinions about it. Take a more recent protest, Occupy Wall Street, one of our, you know, I think one of our, for a lot of us, a, a favorite punching bag because there's so many uh, things that went wrong with this protest and, and it just got so ugly and disgusting and, I mean, crime and, and trash and we've heard so many just horror stories out of the streets of New York from when they took over Wall Street and uh, and, you know maybe they had a valid point but no one knows it now because they ruined it through their behavior right I mean take another one uh, the cause against abortion and you've got people who bomb abortion clinics and things right and when they do that it hurts the cause for the fight of the most basic right that every human life has to have a chance to live. And they undermine that by taking human life. Their behavior affects the cause to which they are aligning themselves. Take the Christian cause and consider someone like Billy Graham. You know, compare him to uh, some of the, you know, the TV evangelists of the past or whatever who have had big blow-ups and scandals and, and here's a man who's lived his life with integrity throughout his whole life and so now he's earned the respect of an entire nation and in so doing, attaches a good reputation and, and makes the gospel that much more attractive, right? Now, we sitting in this room, we're not Billy Grahams, and, and most of us, we don't hit the streets that often with signs or, uh, you know, we don't align ourselves to causes in that way. And yet, if you're here, you have aligned yourself with the cause of Christ publicly. If you call yourself a Christian, you have aligned yourself with Christ. If you. If you are uh, if you align yourself with like maybe you wear a cross jewelry or whatever uh, you know you are aligning yourself publicly people know people know that if they don't see you drive down the street to church maybe they see you come home in your sunday best I don't know but people know and because they know the life that you live the behavior your behavior be it good or be it bad influences what they think about Christ and so this is so huge that we talk about this today because and to some degree you know if you have an opportunity to one turn someone from Christ and towards eternal death or turn someone toward Christ and toward eternal life through your behavior I'm not putting all of it on you don't worry (laughs) Ultimately, that's between that person and God. But we would be foolish if we didn't recognize that we do have influence. Some people more than others. But we have influence. And and when we attach ourselves to Christ the way that we have, publicly, then the way we behave sheds a certain light on Christ. And we all know people who have either rejected God and the church because of Christians that they knew, right? And the behavior of those people. We also, and at least that's the excuse that they give. And we also know people who have come to Christ because of great examples of people, friends, family that they knew. Right? And so let's talk for a moment today about our behavior and how we can advance the cause of Christ now in this passage from the book called Titus it's a a letter like so many uh, of the Apostle Paul's Things that we have compiled in our Bibles, there's a bunch of letters. But unlike the one that we looked at recently where we emphasized how he was saying y'all a lot, right? I mean, we just didn't have the Southern translation available, but he was saying y'all, it was plural. He you know, whenever he writes to a church, he, he's writing to a group of people. But this is different because, you know, and you might notice from the name Titus, this wasn't a place, this wasn't a church and a place. This was a this was a man by the name of Titus who as we get the context of this he's a he's a young man whom Paul is mentoring in fact he calls him the child his child in the faith so you know in that day and time a, a son to, would be kind of like a representative of the father in business transactions and so forth and so in the church this was a guy that that Paul would send where he couldn't go you know, whether because of age or because of imprisonment or because he just can't be in two places in once he, at once he had people like Titus people like Timothy that he could send to churches and places to, to stand in the role of pastor or uh, whatever role he needed them to go into and he could, they could teach and represent the gospel as Paul would if he could be there and so here we have Titus and he's writing to Titus and giving him instructions and giving him encouragement on how to teach the church there in this place called Crete now one thing we've got to mention before we even dive into the details is that in this culture back then, things would look a lot different than they do in our culture in so many ways I mean, first off people lived Shorter lives. They uh, they got married a lot earlier. Like once you hit puberty, you were ready, and, and you would get married. And then, oftentimes, you would live in the same, not just the same town but like the same address, right? You'd have multiple generations living under one roof, or maybe they would add on to it, or whatever the case may be, but right there together, doing life together, raising kids together, uh, doing the family business together. uh, They would be living in that context more often than not. We also have to realize that uh, in that day and time, probably something like 35-40% to of the population in the Roman Empire would have been slaves. there's a good chance that half or even more than half of the church there in Crete may have been slaves. It was a big part of the economy. That was a lot of people's jobs back then. And so, different things like this inform our reading a little bit as we look at this passage. And I'm not going to get into the details of what he told everyone to do, but we'll just kind of do a brief overview. You know, he started with the older men and then he moved on to the older women and he said things like tell them to exhibit self-control be respectable don't talk bad about people stay away from intoxication substance abuse that kind of thing take good care of your family etc etc now one thing to think about here that I was a little bit uncomfortable with on a personal level was that uh, when he talks about older people he may have been referring to people in their thirties. <laughs> I, I mentioned that that people, you know, lived shorter lives, and and that they got married, you know, earlier. By your thirties, you'd have grandkids running around. You know, that would have been the norm. And so, you know, he's talking to grandparents who. Very well, might have been in their thirties, and of course older than that as well. But when he talks about when he talks to older men and older women about how to, it, these are people who have been parents, who have raised kids, and, and now they're being an example and helping those in the next generation who are starting to have kids and and starting to have families and and be husbands and wives and learning how to behave themselves and how to how to do it, you know, how to do it in a God honoring way, and so. He, talk, he went into details about that. Then he talked to the younger women and the younger men. He talked to uh, slaves as well. And and it would be easy to say, oh, well, hang on a second. Is Paul prescribing slavery as, as a good thing? Is he, is he signing on his support for the institution of slavery? And, and I would say, well, no. No more than he's commanding that all women forevermore should stay at home all the time. <laughs> Right? He's, he's talking to a specific culture about how through their good behavior they can advance the cause of Christ. Look at the reasons he gives. Look at the summaries that he gives along the way. He, he says, do this, this, and this so that no one will malign the word of God. And, and do this, and this, and this so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. And then, on the flip side of this, you know, behave in this way, and this way, and this way, so that, in every way, you will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. We could sum up this whole chapter 2, 1 through 10, with something like this. Make sure your behavior is so good, that the world around you can't deny the goodness of the gospel. So what we have to do in our day and time is say, okay, in our cultural setting, you know, all the women may not stay at home. In our cultural setting, none of us may be slaves. But a lot of us, we go to work. A lot of us, we have families at home. We, you know, we still live our lives both in the private arena and the public arena. So how can our behavior today, how can we make sure that it is so good that the world cannot deny the goodness of the gospel. And I want to suggest to you today that you know we have to realize that this is not, this is not a replacement for words. We'll get to words here in a couple weeks. But this is recognizing the reality that sometimes your behavior it can do more for the cause of Christ than your words. Certain people, certain relationships, certain situations uh, an example we have from Peter a different letter, different apostle talking about the same kind of thing and he tells these wives, these ladies that he's writing to, he says that if any of them, talking about their husbands okay, if any of your husbands do not believe the word, that being the gospel they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. He's saying that, you know, basically the same thing. That your behavior, the way you act, can actually serve to advance the cause of Christ. And he gives a specific example here. If you are, you know, we understand this. If you are a wife with a husband uh, at home who would, you know, could care less about talking about Jesus or church you're in 2,000 years of good company. Right? That's, that's been going on for a long time. And the Apostle Peter actually wrote to some wives for whom that was the case. And, and he didn't promise that if they did this, then for sure their husbands would come around. But he said it could happen. This doesn't mean you never talk about your faith with your spouse. In fact, you could argue that what he said there assumes that they've heard the word. Otherwise, how could they not believe a word that they had never heard? Right? They had heard the word at some point. They had chosen not to believe that word, but through their wives' continual good behavior, that's just the general term we're using, through their life, that was so impressive, their husbands might be won over. And we can think of other relationships in our lives, can't we? Where words may not always be the best bet. I mean, that's a good one because, you know, good and well, that if you go home and and you know, harp on the whole Jesus thing every day. He'll be like a you know a dripping faucet before long, and and it's going to do more harm than good probably. And we can think of other examples of this. You know, with you know kids or grandkids. You know, if you're constantly telling them, you know, you ought to be in church, you ought to be in church, you ought to be in church. Well, probably that's not going to do as much good as you just shutting up and living out your faith right in front of them, right? And similarly, at work or at school, you know, if there's just certain situations, you know, it probably wouldn't be that great if you showed up and, and tried to evangelize your boss every day you might not keep that job very long you know? <laughs> or if you came and, and, and tried to, you know, constantly all the time, recruiting all your coworkers, or, or trying to talk to your teacher about, you know, trying to bring it up in class all the time, you know, instead of, you know, she's trying to talk about two plus two and you're wanting to talk about, you know, the salvation so, it, it just, there's certain settings where it doesn't work, right, to talk about it all the time but we can live it out all the time So, what does this look like? Because sometimes the right behavior is more effective than the right words. We understand that. Sometimes the right behavior is just more effective than having all the right words. So I want you to think about today. Could you good someone to Jesus? (laughs) That's probably not real good grammar. We're going to go with it. Could you good someone to Jesus? Who? You know, I'm serious. I want us to think today about people in our life whom we might could good to Jesus. Maybe even we're going to write their names down. Maybe one name, maybe two names, maybe three names. I don't know. Think about the people in your life. Is there someone who you could good to Jesus by just being so good at making, it, they're making them your, your special project? And you're just going to be so good to them that one of these days they're going to just wake up and say, you know what? Maybe there's something to this Jesus thing so let's just think practically for a minute and we'll just follow kind of the same framework that the apostle Paul did and just talk through a little bit of some practical ways that we can through our good behavior advance the cause of Christ and we'll start with older generations first that's where Paul started I'm not picking on you that's Paul What about your kids and your grandkids? And, and be careful of saying, oh, "I'm not worried about them." They're, you know, they're in church, etc., etc. Especially with with our younger kids and grandkids. Don't make the assumption that the faith of their youth is going to be the faith of their adulthood. We live in a in a time where increasingly. We see young people, young when they hit their young adult years, those college-aged years or whatever, a lot, of, a lot of people walk away from their faith, walk away from the church, walk away from God. Some of them come back later, some of them don't. Live such a life before your kids and grandkids that your behavior makes the gospel of Jesus Christ attractive to them. Makes it attractive to them. And you don't know. I mean, maybe sometime after you're gone, they'll have a crisis of faith. And the thing that may bring them back to Christ is remembering the example you set. The way that you lived out your faith. And so, think about that. If you are a a younger adult, maybe you've got a young family at home, you know, how do you... Treat your family. How do you treat your spouse? How do you treat your kids? Do you prioritize time with them? Presence with them. Not just time in the same room, but quality time with them. Building a relationship. Doing things together. Are are your kids growing up in a home that Man, makes Jesus look attractive. Because the way you treat your wife in front of them, the way you treat your husband in front of them, the way you treat them and raise them, the way you discipline them in love, all these things, they add up over time. They matter. Maybe you're a young adult who uh, you don't have a family yet. You'd like to have a family at some point. Well then, as you go through life with friends and the dating scene and all that live in a godly way good behavior is not just about showing kindness to people it's about living out the teachings of Jesus in front of people that we believe are actually the best ways to live and so that may mean uh, choosing to live a pure life, choosing not to move in with someone before you're married that's going to make a pretty big statement in our society today it's going to show that you believe Jesus' ways are the best ways. And your good behavior will make a positive statement about Jesus Christ. Maybe, you know, you work somewhere. You've got a boss or a teacher. You know, school, school is just, you know, work without pay. So, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and when you get to college, you get to pay your boss <laughs> to work for them, and uh, that's a neat thing that we all enjoy going through. And, they, they, and so that's in that neat how society worked that out for us. And and so we pay them uh, so that we can work for them. And then, but you know, it's like a job. So if you're in a job type situation at school or or at work, you know, how do you are you the employee, the student that they can count on? Are are you the the employee or the student that's distracting all the other employees and students? You know, the the way we behave in those settings matters. The Apostle Paul talked about it in context of of slaves and masters because that was a big part of the economy back then. We'll just talk about it in terms of bosses and employees. If you're a boss or a teacher, then man, you've got an opportunity, right? By the way you treat your employees, by the way you treat your students, to make the gospel attractive to them. So we can see a little bit of how these things play out. You can think of other examples. So think about some names. Think you know. Think maybe think in those frameworks of family, whatever stage of life you're in, or uh, of friends, coworkers, bosses, employees neighbors is there someone that you could try and good to Jesus I just wonder is it is it possible that we have severely underestimated the effectiveness of our behavior in advancing the cause of Christ Have we forgotten about that one? Sometimes we spend a lot of time worrying about what we should say, whether we should say it, when we could just get busy doing something good for somebody. Now, I'm not making an excuse for never speaking up. In fact, I'll make the case in just a couple of weeks that there is a situation in which we are all called to speak up about our faith. And, and so, you know, not making that excuse at all. But I would say that there's also situations, and I think you would agree, where more harm can be done than good by keeping on speaking up about a situa- about your faith. And that's what this week is about. In those situations where it's just not feasible for you to bring it up every day, with someone live it out every day right is it possible that this year or next year or the year after that we could baptize someone up here who saw your good behavior and suddenly the gospel came to life for them became more attractive to them Even though we cannot always effectively tell people about Jesus, we can always effectively live Jesus in front of them by the help of the Holy Spirit. And here's the, here's the bonus in this: as we wrap this up, is as we've said it time and again, when we live the Jesus way, which is all about goodness, then it just makes it's just a better way, and anyway. And so what happens is your home life gets better. Your family gets better. Your, your workplace becomes a better place to work. And yes, when you live out your faith this way, it just might make a difference in someone's life now and for eternity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your way of life and the power it has to influence others with the gospel. We admit, confess, God, that we too seldom consider how our behavior might be reflecting on you and on your gospel. So Holy Spirit, Help us to live lives worthy of the gospel that we cling to. Worthy of the repentance that we proclaimed when we were baptized into this new way. Help us to live in such a way that someone might see the way we live and come to faith in Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.